Glenn, you're like the resident ping pong champion. I am. Although that's debatable, there'll be people that will challenge that, but they lie. We don't have any table tennis. Actually, John, you don't have any table tennis to for me. Oh, God, no. No, we're proper accountants, Ryan. We've just got dusty old books and... Calculators. What can we write? What can we write? Comptometers. Comptometers. We found one of those in one of our old offices. He went under the age of about 35. I have no idea what that is. I'm 37, still don't know what that is. like an old Adam. At the Arex office, there's a little putting thing. I never used any of that. When I was, you know, at Capian before, they had the table tennis and they had the putting green Wednesday something, every Friday something, every Monday something. I liked the free breakfast, that was cool. Free breakfast? I missed That's that. Tech, yeah. We get fruit. <laughs> yeah, we get fruit. Because they clearly don't think that counter's poo enough, that's the same. Next on my to-do list is to get this ping pong table for Glenn. And I mean, then you're going to have uh... to resume service again all over Glenn and work your way up. Yeah, in fact, I actually own a ping pong robot called RoboPong, and you put it on the end of a table tennis table and it fires table tennis balls at you, so I don't even need any friends to play with, which is good. Imagining it was also a form of making people work harder, just keep on positioning the machine at them and just work. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Digitals in a Cruel World podcast. My name is Ryan Piercy, and I'm your host for today. And we have a discussion on zero, a topic that is quite close to John and I's hearts as we do a lot with with Zero. Um, so John, are you interested in the chat today? I'm always interested in hearing a bit more about Zero, and it's probably worked at the Inner Sanctum for as long as anybody so it's going to be interesting to find out what's what's been going on under the hood. Yeah we'll see if we can get some juicy gossip out of him in a minute um, but before we we hand over to our guest Indy, our amazing producer, how are you and are you looking forward to today? I am good. Thank you. I had my first compliments from both you and John on the weekend for the podcast. For the people that have got in touch and said that they feel sorry for me that I get an absolute hazing from John and Ryan, occasionally they do pay me a compliment. So that was great. Well, we'd, we'd hit six months. We felt you needed one compliment at least after a six months. And yeah, we definitely don't uh, say it enough. And I'm sure we'll say it more, just maybe not on this recording. But so let's introduce our brilliant guest for uh, this discussion, deep diving into a little bit about Zero, Glenn Foster, how are you, mate? Are you interested in uh, talking a bit more about Zero and your recent journey? Hey, yeah, always, always happy to talk Zero, cloud technology, whatever it is. So really happy. So thank you very much for having me on. So it's great to be here. No worries. And uh, I know you've been blue for a very long time, but you've recently switched to to orange, as we can see. <laughs> Well, it's a blend of the, the two, right? As you move into the ecosystem, your relationship with Zero changes from employee to app partner. So, yeah, still blue, but obviously as an ecosystem partner, you have a, a tinge of the two greens in there, being at Sage and, uh, and QuickBooks as well. Cool, cool. All right. Well, without further ado, then we should crack on with a chat. Anyway. Interesting. interesting. <laughs> Indie flag that we say John and I say interesting, I don't know, every five minutes when we're recording. And she said, you can't use interesting anymore. So I went down the route of just stumbling whenever I went to say it, whereas John managed to run for about 20 different words for interesting Branded shirts today. Look at that, Scrut and Bland making an appearance on the pod. And I can just about see Libio. And John, you look like your wife has dressed you today because you don't look branded. 
<laughs> I just I'm wearing holiday clothes, so I've just got like a scruffy t-shirt and a fleece on. Fairly standard. <laughs> My wife keeps asking quite. what it's like to work for EasyJet. As long as you're good with bags, that's all that matters. We can reference a bright orange, but they'll be like, "What? What are they talking about? Is he working <laughs> EasyJet?" Spray tan. What? Spray tan. Spray tan gone wrong. <laughs> so let's kick this off, Glenn. For those of our listeners that don't know you and um, don't know your journey, could you just te- tell us a little bit about your experience? Obviously, as we've alluded to, from zero and um, where you are now. Yeah, sure. I've been in the accounting software industry for about 15 years. The last 12 of those was at zero. So I joined as a, we are effectively a startup, right? Six of us home-based for a couple of years and set about like, the building that zero business fairly early on. So like, knocking on a bunch of accountants doors, trying to get people to, to try our products, answering questions about how we managed to spell zero incorrectly. But once we got through that and people started seeing the products, um, then we got some, some growth and my journey with zero. I grew with them as, as the business grew and spent the last five years kind of running go-to-market, so sales direct, looking after customer success, sales into our direct channel and also into our partner channel. And then most recently, and I'd been looking to rekindle my love of scale-ups, and then Libio came knocking on my door last year, kind of late last year. The opportunity just felt too good to not take up, like a chance to get into something like a little bit smaller that was then starting and looking to grow really, really fast, which is why I get out of bed on a Monday morning. So yeah, that opportunity came along and I've, I've jumped at it and here I am now all in my Zero brand, in my, sorry, in my Libio branded outfit, ready to go. Brilliant slip of the tongue there, there already. So yeah, everyone that is probably on this or listening to the pod has heard of Zero, probably working with Zero to some extent, or one of the other finance packages in the marketplace. But would you be able to just give a quick overview of what Libio is so that our listeners also can put that context of your journey from Zero to Libio? Yeah, so we're a platform that integrates with like all of the main accountancy software products and primarily supplier payments. Like in France, we also do accounts receivable payments, but in the UK at the minute, it's predominantly supplier payments, so accounts payable with an approval process or workflow built off the, the back of it. So the ability for twofold for accountants who provide virtual CFO or FD type services to embed Libio into their internal tech stack to say, well, we now we want to do supplier payments and open banking um, and Libio's own technologies enabled us to, to start to do that risk-free and securely. Or for business owners that maybe have quite a lot of supplier and they want to stop downloading and uploading a file into the bank or re-entering them one by one and the ability to automate that um, and save yourself, like our data tells us, save yourself about 10 hours a month on processing invoices. So like a huge opportunity to get some time back. And that's that's where Libio sits, a really similar strategy to the zero one, like direct customers, so accounting firms and bookkeepers, but lots and lots of value for, yeah, for, for either that may want to get on board with Libio. Oh, thanks for that. And we'll definitely dive into a bit more about Libio a little bit more in this, a little bit later in this chat. But before we dive into that, talk a little bit more about Zero, especially with how long obviously you were working with that. And I've been working with Zero for about eight years now. I know it's been in the UK longer. I wouldn't say I was one of the, the first adopters. Um, our paths didn't cross early on, Glenn. So as you were building it up from scratch, um, that, we didn't really interact. But John, you've been working with Zero for a long time. From your perspective, why was it that you first started working with Zero, and what is it about Zero that's enabled the growth in the cloud market in the UK? 
why did we work with them? We, we worked with them because they were one of the first to really approach us directly when I was working at a previous firm. And it was at a time when we dabbled a little bit with cash flow, which for people in the UK will know, was probably one of the first real UK-based cloud platform, cloud accounting platforms that came about and then subsequently was bought by Iris. The Zero for us was the one that really made a big difference. The bank feeds feature was, was something that was pretty much unique and you could see the immediate time-saving opportunity. And then alongside that marketplace, as it was then, was a huge you know, differentiator in terms of being able to start to do things that was only really available in the CRM market at the time in terms of connecting multiple apps together and doing lots of different things. So those were the two key things that really sold zero for me and in those early days you know there, there was you know lots of really great support a small team that were really keen to really engage with accountants and bookkeepers and just get their ideas on what what was needed to improve and grow in the uk market i echo a lot of what you said john reliability was another thing that, so jumping back to to you then those early years working with with zero you touched on it a bit but you went through some huge growth in that period and with it a lot of development change was it easy working with accountants in that space? Was it an easy conversation or was there a lot of difficulty? Yeah, really early on, like, it was really easy. You go through waves uh, where earlier on, like, not many people asked us about data security because the innovators were happy to, to jump on board. And then you hit a point where lots of people start asking you about where's your data? What happens if you go down? What happens if you go out of business? Um and then you go and then suddenly like that you get the KPMGs and the droids come on board and people stop asking those kind of questions again. And early on, it was just great fun because we were dealing with like you might be familiar like the wow companies, the valued, the kinder pococks of this world, like accounting firms that like, were typically smaller but love to embrace technology and we're always looking for what was new like what can allow us to differentiate and provide a different service to our clients so you were talking to people that just got it and wanted to go fast right? a lot of the time we were holding them back because the product wasn't ready it was like well, we don't want you to push something too hard that isn't quite ready yet so give us a couple of months to, to, to catch up with you guys one of the things quite interesting is we compare quite a lot to our Australian and like Kiwi firms and get this feeling that they're further ahead and I don't think I've ever really concurred with that. every region has innovative there's lots that people can learn from every different region but I don't think there's any country necessarily that is specifically further ahead albeit I'd argue mass like, cloud adoption is probably a bit further in places like New Zealand and Australia but then they're, they're typically much smaller countries as well so it's a little bit easier to achieve than it is somewhere like the UK but those first few years like they're the memories that will never leave you like, there's some pain right I remember Gary putting up pop-up stands in a I think it was a holiday in car park in Oxford because we needed to make sure we had all the pieces before we went down to the business show and it was windy uh, and then we had to offset one of our employees a lady called Debbie Spoon we had to drop up the train station because we couldn't get her and the sign in the car so like, well, you don't need to get the train and we're going to drive all the way down to, to London Excel so we can pop up this stand so there's lots of those crazy startup moments that exist but they're good fun and a real learning curve like this takes a certain type of person like, to operate in a startup or like, to start a business but but if it's for you, then it's yeah, definitely lots and lots of fun. So you touched on a really good point there, Glenn. Zero has been a, um, a startup or in its startup phase for a number of years. It's been going through big growth and it won the hearts and minds, especially of the UK accounting sector for a, a long time. But it feels like it's now starting to transition. It's going from that you know, young, energetic, early business that had a lot of money to in, invest in its development to now one focused on profitability 
and that's grown big and scale and is a, a mammoth beast to manage. Did you experience that transition and will feel that transition at all within Zero? Has it always felt like a dynamic, energetic business? Yeah, I think maybe to the outside, it feels like that's something just happening now. But if you're inside that business, it happens every six to 12 months. It's painful going from six employees to 30 employees, right? It's like doubling your client base. Whether you're going from 2,000 to 4,000 customers or 200 to 400,000, there's there's pain involved in there, like growing pains that exist. At zero, people get pretty conditioned pretty quickly to ambiguity and change. And I don't think people, I think most people tend to love change, right? They may say they do it at interview stage and I thrive on it, but after a period of time, it can become quite tiring. But you learn to to deal with it and understand it and then process it, right? And figure out how you embed it into your working life. So look, there's no doubt that Zero as a business is it's a corporate now. They probably wouldn't like it described too much like that because you still want that hustle and that energy that comes with being a startup. But nevertheless, it's a, like, a ridiculously successful business that, that needs corporate in the way that it, it approaches. That doesn't mean to say you need to lose the fun and some of the agility that you, you had before. And a lot of that comes down to culture. Get the right people in, keep hiring great people and like, make sure the people that you're bringing in are contributing and enhancing that culture. And inside, it still feels like a startup. Clearly, there are corporate elements to it, right, of growing up as a business where you're suddenly worth like $20 billion or, or whatever the market cap is right at this minute. Like there's, there's, there's elements of responsibility that comes with that to shareholders, to accounting firms, to small businesses that are, that are using your platform. So, yeah, look, it's uh, it growth, growth is fun, but it's, it can be ridiculously painful at times. Yeah, I completely appreciate that. And I guess, Indy, you've probably... You, you experienced that as well in, in working in Arex and the way they're scaling up and working as a, a zero partner. Do you echo a lot of what Glenn just said? Tech is going through its own stages of growth right now in terms of how much cash there is out there and how well-funded each startup could be. And zero is quite exceptional in the sense that it's come from the other side of the world and I think that it was quite well funded where it came to the product and the market so was able to really make some big moves in to the UK. I don't know how you found that then Glenn going back to Libya as well whether in the same way that you've already gone through that with Zero, that there's an element of startup mentality about it but you also need to have the means to be able to scale up very quickly rather than stay within that startup mode and keep proving initial concept. Definitely. The ecosystem of Zero is quite interesting, right? Because we talk about uh, a thousand apps that exist within there, which is like a strength and a weakness in its own right, because it's ridiculously daunting for a business owner or an accountant approaching that ecosystem, trying to find one product out of the 1,000 they need. Equally, if you think about how many of them actually get used like properly, like in earnest, like you're a much smaller amount. Like, I don't know the data, but it's probably like 50 products. Like I probably would have spoken about 20 different apps in total. And what's attractive about Libio is like great product that fixes a problem that exists, great people, but also well-funded. They've got the desire, but also the capital to go and do some stuff and, and really focus on growing your business. And the goal isn't to grow a, multi-million pound business just then it's yeah it's much it's much different to that 
on top of that, your approach there is not with the zero marketplace, for instance, you're right, the marketplace becomes one channel to the growth, whereas with Libya, you're then at going directly to the customers as well. And it makes more sense that you partner through certain channels, but you're also going direct and you've got the means to do that. Absolutely. Like it is expensive. Right? You're a marketer, you know how expensive it is to go direct to, to small businesses. Like our product's £29 a month. So it's not it's not expensive. So you want to go and acquire customers one by one by one. That's really tricky. And in most ecosystem partners, you don't have the same addressable market as a zero would have, where it's like actually every small business, right? There's six million businesses in the UK. You could argue with making tax digital for income tax, every single one of them could be a, a client. Like Lots of businesses don't have lots of supplier invoices. So Libya is just not necessary for them. So actually your addressable markets is, is much smaller, but equally you can get a bit more targeted with how you go and recruit potential customers directly. And it's a push-pull. I think what worked in well with Zero is like the accounting channel was extremely affluent for them really early on because there's about 1.8 million businesses using accounting in the UK. And it's like, really cost effective to go through that accountant channel and provide them with support and tools to get to those customers but then we did see a tipping point where lots and lots of small businesses were coming to zero and then what you want to do is try and direct them into the accountant and bookkeeping channel so that they pick up and so it's that push pull of once accountants started getting their clients coming to them and, and look most uh, most accountants and even some of our early adopters will tell you they became a zero partner because a client turned up and said they were using zero and they first thing they did is went on to say oh yeah yeah we, we know it about the the app ecosystem and you know the message about there being a thousand apps and do you think that's hit its critical mass yet i mean my personal feeling is it hasn't but i'd be interested in what you think Clint. no i think it keeps going as the likes of zero keeps getting bigger it's more attractive to ecosystem partners who just want a tiny proportion of that market share and as new technology so things like as open banking comes in it opened up a whole new segment and like a new bunch of players that can can come into the markets and for every established product out there but there's somebody looking to do something slightly differently i still don't think anyone's quite nailed cash flow forecasting most people still tell me they want win forecast but in the cloud so so it's still lots and lots of work to do and we'll see the innovation of like apps that have been on the ecosystem for a while but actually starting to do stuff differently as we go through so we continue to see it like to see mm. going you have to follow that API Twitter account for zero and every couple of days they announce a new app partner that's uh, yeah that's uh, arrived and um, how does that then fit in with with zero's overarching strategy because obviously you know as you mentioned they've become a bit of a corporate now and from the outside looking in anyway as accountancy partners it generally feels that zero maybe isn't innovating as much as it used to be or whether that's just a natural development or whether that's just because there are other other things to focus in on or other markets to try and penetrate well, do you think Zero is still an innovative company and being successful with that innovation? Because that's that's probably a criticism that's been cast over Zero's developments in the past. Yeah, look, it's, a, it's a really difficult question to answer because as like Zero was created, uh, there was lots to do. So once you dropped like bank feeds in there and like actually just the bank rec as a whole, right, was innovative. The way that Craig Walker, the first CTO, designed that was completely different. Like Sage works the opposite way around. You usually get to the bank at the end and zero went, actually, your bank account is probably your source of truth. Maybe we drive it through the bank. So there were things like that that were really innovative. And then you could drop things like cash coding and find and recode and the reporting in there. Like, but then you get to a certain point and you mentioned critical mass of addressing core problems in what should be a relatively simple product to use. 
and you don't want too much complexity. So I think where then innovation comes is like, how do you start to like use app partners and actually how does the company move into different areas? So things like zero tax, like there's HubDoc, right? There's acquisitions that can deliver serious value moving forward. But because of business, they'll, they'll always be aware of the, one of the challenges Sageline 50 had, I think, is it, it got quite complex. And then people looked at it and it felt complex, right? So you well, that's for bigger businesses. Whereas actually through Sage Line 50's journey, it started off with smaller companies and it got a bit too busy. Zero will run that risk of if you keep adding things to a product, then before you know it, somebody comes in with a simpler product, right? For a slightly cheaper price, but you look at it and go, well, that's all I need, right? I need a bank reckoning invoice and a set of experts and some and a PL, right? I don't I don't need all of the, the bells and whistles that come with the product, but I feel like I'm paying for all of those bells and whistles and I, I just don't use them. So innovation is at the heart of zero, but it gets harder the more mature you get as a as a company. Does zero risk, risk being stuck in the middle somewhere then? Because we've already got those small competitors in in the space. You've got the likes of Free Agent and Bocchio and others who are, who are nibbling away at the bottom. And then on the flip side, I hear a lot from some clients, some potential zero you know, users is that, oh, the marketing's for small businesses. and I'm not a small business. Is it the right fit? Yeah, it's an interesting point. We hear from a lot of large accounting firms about the marketing around the word small. And it like, depends what you class as small, right? Like it scales quite quite quickly. But the key for zero was like everybody paid the same. So the product, like it was about volume about number of customers that you could that you could bring on board because whether you turned over 10 million or 10,000 pounds you still paid pretty much the same price give or take slight variations on the starter standard and, and premium plans but it is a there's a risk there is a definite risk right from being squeezed at the top by products like sage intact right down to being squeezed at the bottom by even just the neobanks like the things that you can do in starling these days right or coconut who seem to want to focus on freelancers but the market is competitive and the uk is competitive but you add those two things together and you've always got to be looking ahead and always looking over your shoulder to see what other people are doing but the danger with competition is it's often the people you least expect suddenly turn up with with something hence caught them napping without a competitive product and actually without a strategy to say we're going to go full cloud, which enabled Zero just to accelerate because all they had was one product and they just needed to get that into the hands of, of business owners. And, and as you said then, like the, the acceleration was needed because it was all about volume. But a question from my side is that externally, it came a bit of a, a shock when Gary decided to move on. Was that the same internally? Was that was it just came out of left field or was there some expectation or some discussions that led to that? And for me, it wasn't necessarily a huge shock, but it wasn't something that we'd been brought into the tent on fairly early on. But like, like Gary had done 12 and a half years and 12 and a half years in any business, right, is a, is a long time, especially as the managing director. And especially in one that is like growing as aggressively as, as zero with a 13 hour time difference as well to head office. So uh, you spend a lot of time in your evenings and your early mornings and Gary would have sacrificed uh, quite a lot of his family time 
on an Air New Zealand flight over to New Zealand or Australia. So it wasn't a huge surprise. He'd, he'd worked ridiculously hard for 12 and a half years to get to the point where he could effectively retire, right? At the age of, I hope you won't mind me saying his age, at the age of 53. Looks like he's 40, but he's uh, 53. But yeah, to get to that, to have that opportunity to, to do that, it, it wasn't necessarily a surprise. Everybody knew at some point that like 12 years was a, a long time to spend in a business as aggressive as, as Zero was. Yeah, and then you've had some big names move on. Uh, Gary, obviously yourself, Glenn. Is it that everyone's jumping ship before there's a big disaster and you all know something we don't? Because from an external point of view, you've got, as you said, that big shift towards corporate and some of the big names are moving on. It just looks a little bit looks a bit, a little bit suspect from outside. Yeah, I think the question I'd ask is, uh, what would make a company keep two people like that for 12 and a half years? It's really easy to look at well, well uh, we got people leaving, right? But it's like, it's not six months, it's not a year. This is 12, 12 and a half years for Gary, 12 years for me uh, of stayed within the business. So I, I hope that is how it comes across because I think like Gary was, uh, had worked intensely and wanted to take some time out. And for me, my goal was um, really just to get back to do something in a smaller business. I remember sitting down and having the conversation with Alex, the new MD. Unfortunately, he'd only been on board for about a month and like his sales director turns up with his, uh, with his notice. I think I get my energy from taking a business maybe from naught to 5 million, naught to 10 million. And Zero don't need that anymore. They need someone to take it into the 100 millions in, in the UK. And that takes a certain type of person to do that. Like someone who probably likes meetings more than I do. Like I'm a bit more hands-on. I'm a bit more active and I'd much rather be doing stuff. And as you get in larger businesses, right, sometimes your leadership team have just got to sit down and talk strategy and talk a lot about stuff. I was doing the right things for the role, but the role probably wasn't the right role for me. So it gave me a good opportunity to take something, I think, that does just tick all the boxes that I want. No, I completely get it. Those, those meetings where you have 12 people sit around to decide the colour of a button is probably starts to grate after a while. I mean, John always says I'm a bit cynical, so that's probably where that, that side of the questions come from. But you, well, we're, you, we're used to meetings for meetings' sake, aren't we, Ryan? And the we are. Yeah. Well. <laughs> that's all we do. But you've gone from, as we said earlier, wearing uh, blue to now wearing orange at Libyo. Why Libyo? Why, why now? You touched on it a little bit, but was it just too good an offer to refuse? Yeah. Uh, yeah, too good an opportunity is, is how I would, would describe it. There's probably like three things, right? So one is uh, the product. Uh, and that's what wowed me when I joined Zero. Uh, and I, I sat down with Gary, had a coffee and a mince pie, actually. It was December time. And we talked about the product and had a look at it. And, and I thought, this has got legs, right? And I felt the same with Libio. Um, I thought, this is a problem that could be addressed and we could add real value to accountants and to business owners. So definitely like the product. Then I think there's the opportunity that exists out there with the technological shift. So things like open banking coming in kind of says that we're really early on in that change. And just like zero was early on in the transition from desktop to the cloud, like that first mover advantage, that's critical. We talk about how zero got their growth. A big part of it was first mover advantage because Sage and Intuit didn't really exist much. In, um, we were fighting against the cash flows and the free agents. And actually zero was way more well-funded than they were. But it was a good opportunity to accelerate past those. And then most importantly, people. But I joined zero because of Gary, really. Like the product was great, but I didn't know it that well. But I joined because he sold me this vision of wonderfulness in the future and the opportunity that was ahead. And that's what I bought into. Uh, and the mince pie helped. But it was the same experience with um, 
with Libio. I sat down with the CEO, Pierre, and he said one thing that will never, ever leave me. He said, smart people are always nice people. And it just, and I kind of thought of all the smart people, with people I consider smart, that I'd worked with uh, through my career, and it really resonated that it made, it made perfect sense. And, and when I spoke to the other two co-founders as well, I got this feeling that they cared about the people they'd employed uh, and they care about the problem they're trying to fix. And they were fixing a problem that two of them had experienced as they were restauranteurs previously and had lots and lots of supplier invoices. So that was it. They were the three things that really made me want to make the switch. And I'd known for about a year that I was going to go. I just was looking for that right thing. And that right thing popped up. Well, I've got to say, if it's smart people are nice people, Indy must be the, the smartest one in our podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, I, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think there's want, any doubt about that, is there? <laughs> she wants a compliment. She was begging for, for us to be nice to her. Own, really, <laughs> so let, let's I just finish. want people to know how smart you are. That's all. You know. <laughs> Thanks, Indy. I know you've got our best interests at heart. So, you know, you joined Zero and Zero, Zero went huge. And now you've joined Libio. I assume your aim is to make Libio huge as well. What are the goals? What is your aim? What do you want to achieve at Libio? Yeah, look, I want to fix problems for thousands and thousands of, of businesses and accounting firms, first of all, because that, that's where I get my energy. That's where it comes from, right? Of seeing people really benefiting from using your solution. And that's one thing Zero gave me the opportunity to do. Like we speak to lots of accountants and, and you guys are on the call as well who have said, look, it's just enabled us to work differently with our clients. We always wanted to work closer with them, but technology didn't allow it. Technology does now because it's enabler for that relationship. And, and I want to do exactly the same at Libio. Now, the key thing to point out is like the TAM's not the same. So we know that. So this isn't just about, can Libio get as big as zero in like, in the UK? Like, probably not in customer numbers because the TAM is different. But the goal is like European domination like the goal is to like to extend to more and more european markets and with like open banking legislation and, and, and libio being headquartered in france as well then we've got a good opportunity to develop across europe so yeah the goal is to like, design the playbook become successful in the uk which is libio's second market and then extend that opportunity out into the into the rest of europe so free holidays to europe got it <laughs> so what's going to hold you back on achieving that that is a good question so in lots of tech businesses, there are always multiple priorities. So as a business, we're going to have to be really selfish with our time and figure out what we can do and then what we don't do. Because if you try and bite off too much, then you tend to deliver very little or you deliver lots of stuff relatively averagely. The key will be um, to, to make sure that we're gathering like, lots and lots of feedback like lots and lots of user feedback from businesses and accountants and we use that to drive the product roadmap otherwise if we don't continue and we touched on innovation earlier if we don't continue to address uh, problems that business owners and accounting firms have um, then the growth just starts to slow down and stop so that's probably the one thing that will hold us back that we need to be aware of so i'm going to push you hard on this so open banking is obviously the the tech that's going to enable some of the growth that you're going to get but Clearly, the key thing for for you guys and for any product that wants to do similar something similar in Europe is around the cloud tech and you know connecting to the accounts package. So, what what's got to be done there in terms of making that that region more accessible? Because it's fair to say that you know mainland Europe is a little bit more fractured in terms of its cloud accounting space and and probably behind where the UK market is and others. 
Yeah, it, it would say so you're absolutely right. Even France, right, is more fragmented than than the UK is. That so you've got three main players here, then a number of on the periphery. Olivio operates as a standalone product, so you don't need to connect it into like a cloud accounting product or any accounting products. You can download and upload your invoices, so it integrates with Dext as well, so you can file them through from from Dext. So look, the goal is to make this as easy as we possibly can do for business owners and that means that an integration with accounting software can be important equally you need to bear in mind that there's lots and lots of accounting products like you took mtd for example there's 560 products that will do an mtd return like you, you can't integrate with all of them but equally you want all of those people to have an opportunity to get their invoices into libio and the value isn't like like the value is like bulk payments, it's approval workflows, right? It's like taking away time and risk, actually, taking away the risk of logging into your bank and actually accidentally paying somebody £10,000 instead of £1,000. It's removing that, that stuff. So like getting the data into, into Libio comes from a variety of, of different ways. And so the, that data entry risk is one that you just mentioned in terms of that import-export is still a risk, isn't it? That's an area that people want to eliminate. You know, that's an area that people like myself, and we're talking to clients about systems and systemization. What we all aspire to is a, is a full integration, isn't it, rather than just having more steps in a process? It's absolutely what it is. Right? It's that link from accounting software into Libya, from Libya into the bank, so that you're not having to manually adjust anything right it's all pulling through um, and again about that approval workflow whereas an accountant bookkeeper you can say look here's the 10 invoices we want to pay for you can you approve them yes client approves them and then the accountant or the bookkeeper now got the ability to go through and approve them without looking into their bottom desk drawer and finding one of those little calculator devices that they've somehow got to figure out how they log into the client's bank account to to do it right it's a relatively broken process but broken to the fact that just technology didn't allow it to be but now it can be so there, there's the opportunity to, to do it differently and if there's one thing that like, business owners want to give over sometimes to, to their accountant it's that supplier payment run just say look you do everything else for me except for this bit we'd love you to do that and we were chatting with with, with will from final clark uh, a couple of months ago and he was talking about that's like, the one piece of his app stack that isn't completed at the minute like does everything else but actually he hasn't got something that does that does that part so quite often they'll just steer clear of doing it which feels like a big opportunity yeah so more integrations with, with the likes of products like Dex then or, or more accounting products all of the above so based on feedback we'd love to hear uh, like what what people want what makes their lives easier initially uh, we'll do like zero sage and quickbooks so we'll cover off the three key players like interestingly in in france like libio is embedded within the quickbooks invoicing so actually when you pay through quickbooks in france you're actually paying through libio so embedded finance is a big opportunity zero do it with with wise formerly known as TransferWise, for example where you can embed that into an invoice so the opportunity for us to look at embedded finances is quite key but we will integrate and work with whichever products we think will add value to, to the end user customers. That brings what is a very good conversation, both about Zero, yourself, Glenn, and Libio. So I'd like to say a massive thank you for coming on the pod. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Good fun. Cool. Um, here's to your next 12 years at Libio. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I always know where Jasmine is anyway, because wherever you are, Jasmine, you've got an incredible set of artwork Glad you said that. <laughs> I'm in Paris right now in my, my boyfriend's house, but then like you should
just see. There are like thousands of little figurines around me as well. Oh, that's pretty cool. Napoleon specialized. Really random. This is like <laughs> a, a huge house. It's a it's a flat in Paris. There um, aren't any huge in houses Paris. in France, in Paris, right? Not, not unless you're absolutely. Not so many, there. yeah. Well, we don't I mean, know who Jasmine is dating. You make so many assumptions there. He's <laughs> <laughs> in the west wing of her house. Yeah. Your your night decorations make me think that. Um, um, <laughs> maybe it's just the um, you've been watching too much Bridgerton. Oh my god, I just started watching Bridgerton. God. Did you? Damn Lots of bombs and bombs and booze. I need to catch up. There's less in I'm... the second series, I thought. Really? Oh. I mean you've heard. Come on, you watch it. Well, I only watched one of one episode so far of the second series. I don't think But you watched all of season one then? Oh yeah, I watched all of season one. Oh, I just made it to I made it to the the, the wedding night and I was like, whoa! Did not see that coming. Anyway, we've gone off topic. Um, <laughs> so I, I, thought, I thought Ryan was more of an Emily and Paris kind of person. <laughs> oh, I've, I've seen some well. of that as well. <laughs> that, that was, that's been on in the background a lot of the time. I'm in the lounge with Mrs. Don't blame the Mrs. Yeah, Don't course. even yeah. try. Thanks again for joining us on today's podcast. And if you've got any feedback for us, remember you can always hit us up on any of our socials, email, however you want to reach us. If you're also keen to come and join us on an episode or want to throw down with John, go head to head because he has a million questions that he loves to ask, then please reach out to us because we are on the hunt for some new and exciting speakers. And Glenn, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can reach out? Yeah, look, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, you'll find me on both platforms. If you want to drop me an email, it's just glenn at libio.io, glenn with one N. Great. And then for anyone that's interested, Glenn is in the market again. He's practicing his ping pong. He has a machine that's pointed at him right now, one hand ready to go. So remember to also um, lay challenge if you're good enough. Thanks again and join us next time.